I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From Backpage, my name is Martin Gregg and welcome to a new episode of Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. This is my conversation with the acclaimed screenwriter Neil Forsyth about an amazing feature he wrote for Nutmeg Magazine on Jim McLean, the legendary Dundee United manager. Neil is a very talented writer who started off in journalism and went on to write the Bob Servant series of books which were made into radio and TV productions starring Brian Cox. He's now predominantly a screenwriter and has had some notable successes in recent years including the one-off BBC drama Eric, Ernie and Me about Morecambe and Wise. He also wrote the brilliant four-part crime series Guilt which screened on BBC Two in 2019 to huge critical acclaim. Neil's piece in Jim McLean is a real labour of love and it's one of the best pieces of sports feature writing I've read in recent years. It appeared in the brilliant Nutmeg magazine which is a fantastic Scottish football periodical who also have a podcast hosted by the brilliant writer and broadcaster Daniel Gray. Neil's article appears in the show notes to the episode click on it and I guarantee it will be the best thing you read this week enjoy if we just kick off by talking about the introduction to the article Neil which I think is brilliant it's really funny and insightful uh, and it's about your great uncle Bill uh, and his attempts to deal with what you call a rogue member at his local bowling club in Broughty Ferry first of all can you just, just set the scene for us tell us about great uncle Bill v Jim McLean great uncle Bill lived in uh, Strathairn Road, just up the, around the corner from us when we grew up in Broughty Ferry. He was the husband of my granny's sister. So we had Great Uncle Bill and Great Aunt Sadie up the road and they were a big part of our childhood. And um, Great Uncle Bill was this very genial man, quite an absurdist sense of humour, which I always enjoyed. He was on the committee at Broughty Ferry Bowling Club and there was this kind of little flurry of excitement in the early 90s because Jim McLean had moved down to Albert Road where the bowling club is and brought ferry and, and joined it. So Great Uncle Bill was very much enjoying this. He was enjoying the fact that they had this celebrity moving amongst them. But then there was just a very strange period where two things happened simultaneously, one of which was Great Uncle Bill stopped talking about Jim McLean, uh, <laughs> coupled with Great Uncle Bill's traditionally upbeat mood, taking a somewhat downward turn. And uh, this was because Jim McLean had entered into a sort of war of attrition against the committee at the bowling club and was getting himself into all sorts of scrapes he started to see himself as the victim of this great conspiracy between Broughty Ferry's bowling club umpires and committee members and I don't think he was a particularly good bowler McLean uh, and he didn't take defeat very well and he was just becoming a real a real problem and it was sort of falling on Uncle Bill's shoulders and how to deal with it. So it was this uh, ongoing thing for, for weeks. And I'm pretty sure there was a sort of hushed, a hushed suggestion from my mum and Aunt Sadie of don't mention Jim McLean, <laughs> who'd previously been a cause celebrity in, in, yeah. in the house. Anyway, and to go long story short, McLean was uh, somewhere, he was banned from the 
Brought you Ferry Bowling Club. I'm pretty sure we got a little bit of press at the time as well. Yeah, just a quote from the PC say he had been welcomed with some fanfare a few years before, but now, well, <clears throat> now the trumpets have fallen silent because this member, this member was different. This member disputed decisions, berated teammates, antagonised the opposition, and queried the workings of the bewildered groundsmen. This member arrived at matches taut with tension and only grew more so. This member saw himself as a victim of a dark conspiracy lurking behind the masking smiles of Brotty Ferry retirees. <laughs> so the, the thing that I loved about this intro was, for me it's kind of the key to the article actually because it shows you that Jim McLean, the football manager, was basically the same as Jim McLean, the person. They, they were one and the same. And I think that is such an important point to understand his character, that there was no persona that he adopted when he was he was a football manager. This was Jim McLean to his bones, basically. I mean, this was McLean, I think he was in his 50s at this point, and he was the manager of, the, of the, one of the city's two football clubs. He couldn't get what he saw as a perceived slight of the, at the bowling club out his head. And, uh, you know, we turn it into these vindictive, <laughs> vindictive uh, nemesis relationships with people on the committee. But I think, yeah, the, and what Uncle Bill said to me, and the thing that always really stuck with me was um, Uncle Bill saying, and he'd obviously gone through all his different approaches of how to deal with the problem. And ultimately, Uncle Bill kind of turned around to me this day, and I do still remember him saying it. And he said, uh, I said to him, Jim, why don't you just calm down? And it was the the utter confusion of my uncle Bill of why why couldn't he just calm down you know but that for me was McLean in, in microcosm. It's interesting because if you think of the contrast to someone like Sir Alex Ferguson who obviously had this volcanic temper as well, but Ferguson the person I think was maybe different to Ferguson the manager. I think the more we learn about him, you know, you hear about the hinterland. You know, he likes his wine and the horse racing, and he played the piano, and he was very widely read. And um, I think he, he he's someone who adapted his personality to suit the development of the sport. So he grew with the uh, with how football had uh, changed over the years. Whereas I, I think that is an interesting contrast to to, to McLean because he he obviously just could not compromise his personality for anything or anyone at any time of his life. No, yeah, and, and no great interest in doing so as well. And I think that, and Fergie, often you read old Manchester United players' autobiographies, and they talk about how Fergie, want, sometimes they couldn't believe what he'd go out and say in the post-match press conference based on what he'd said in the dressing room. And he was quite, quite canny like that. And, um, he, he, he was presenting tactical fronts when he spoke to the press and, and such like, whereas I don't, there was never that, that with McLean, there was a very, it was just, it, what, he, what he said in the room was what he'd go and see outside the room and how he dealt with people in the training pitch was on a Monday morning, ex-United players talk about, you've got, you'd have just as much chance of getting a, utterly berated by McLean first thing on a Monday morning at training as you would at half time on a Saturday, you know, it was just this standardised, a slightly despotic approach. Yeah, and it's funny because I think in that anecdote, I think you see the seeds of his genius, but also in some way the seeds of his maybe his decline as well. Because in the way that Ferguson was able to to move on and and you know take his his talents across the border and you know conquering Europe with Manchester United, but that but the point that Ferguson is doing all that, you know, Jim McLean is you know fighting with journalists and he's he's just he he could not move with the times and and and. 
you know that that made him a genius when his personality suited the times but when it when the caravan moved on he he was unable to do it he was probably a bit unfortunate mclean because he 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 could operate superbly when football managers could play this tyrannical role but he operated in the last gasp really of that of that tradition which had you know which would be going on for probably 30 40 years so, you know, if he'd come through 10 years earlier, his career would have probably gone on at that level of success for another 10 years. But the fact of the matter is, as it got into the 90s, he, he was increasingly a, a man out of time. And he, 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 like you say, he didn't adapt to what football was becoming. Yeah, I mean, the Uncle Bill stuff is just fascinating for football fans as well, because I think in some level, you know, football fans like to think of their on-field heroes, their life spilling into to, to real life, if you like, and um, it made me think of, like, the Duncan Ferguson story about, you know, how he he tackled a burglar, uh, and everyone thought, oh, that's so Duncan Ferguson to do that. And, like, reading the story, you just think, that is so Jim McLean, and there's something almost romantic about it as a football fan, isn't there, to think that this is the way he... he, he he takes his behaviour into his everyday life. I know, and there's no reason to think that he uh, he should take that into everyday life. Like Duncan Ferguson, there's lots of players who are pretty, uh, probably pretty handy on a football pitch that would absolutely shite themselves if there was a burglar in the house. <laughs> you know, so expecting Duncan Ferguson to take down a burglar is like expecting Jason Statham to kind of do the same. Or, uh, you know, someone who presents that public image but he no there's an on I think people appreciate honesty in most forms you know most expressive forms of sport or art or anything like that and the one thing about people like Ferguson but certainly Jim McLean there was just that absolute visceral honesty to everything he did and like you say I think that didn't necessarily help him in a, a lot of occasions I mean there was obviously a, you know you've, you've got a wealth of material to draw on here for this piece but was that was the Uncle Bill story was that always going to be the way in because it was such a beautiful microcosm was, a, was there any debate in your head about how you get into this article or was it always going to be Uncle Bill always yeah yeah, no, I, yeah. I knew that yeah. was the, the way in and that just the line from Uncle Bill of why 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 don't you just calm down was always um i felt the, the way to get into it and then just enjoy enjoy that introductory section i mean that's the great thing about long form writing you can you can take a little nugget like that and just keep mining it and mining it i mean it's, it's quite a personal piece but the thing that i liked about it was it was quite biographical as well and i actually learned quite a lot of stuff i didn't know about jim mclean it's not just a straight jim and me type piece you know there's, there's really interesting stuff about you, you touch on his playing career but also that he had this plan to build houses he used to build houses in the summer and then uh, that was his plan for his post playing career was the, the building houses and then he falls into coaching but he starts instead he starts building building this great team as well so I guess my question would be was that your intention as you as you mapped out this article that that it would stand up as a biographical portrait of Jim McLean as much as a, a kind of personal um, reflection on him I, I think you've got to I think if you're writing a piece like this you have to be very careful, very careful with the personal stuff that it doesn't become indulgent. And I think you have to feel that you're also telling a story within it. And if, if through any personal angle you can help bring out your central character then and, and add a bit of humour to, to the piece, I think, in particular, then that, that's great to do. But you've also got to take some responsibility to, to tell a, an interesting story. And I, I, wanted to, I wanted to find out things about McLean that I didn't know in writing it, you know, so I, I kind of reread his, his autobiography and 
and read um, some other players' interviews about working under him and things. So I think you have to make sure you're you're still taking a journalistic approach. That's that's interesting. I was I was going to ask you about the the level of research you undertook. And you reference the uh, autobiography a couple of times in the piece, and I, I don't remember that actually. To be honest, it's there's a lot of these books that are kind of lost in the mists of time, aren't they? That came out maybe twenty five, thirty years ago, and but sometimes they're still really, really entertaining. And you you drew a lot from that. You you got a lot of good insight, but also good humour from from you know some some of the interesting passages in it. I think he published in the late 80s so I, I, um, I had a copy from back then it's a funny book it's very it's very much captured his voice I mean there's periods where you're reading his um, reminiscences of some of our defeats particularly our Scottish Cup final defeats and the, the anger is rising from the page you know um, so it's uh, I, I really enjoyed reading it but no I, I definitely uh, definitely put in the work on the, on the research front Hello, I'm Daniel Gray, host of the Nutmeg Podcast, a version of the Scottish football magazine for your ears. I hope you're enjoying this podcast, another fine product from our friends at Backpage Press. As well as writing the Jim McLean article for Nutmeg, guest Neil Forsyth also appeared on our podcast. Please find us in all the usual places like the Apple Podcast app or via our website, nutmegmagazine.co.uk. There you'll find details of our print offering and nearly 50 podcasts with other interview guests, including Brian McClare, Ricky Ross, Val McDermott, Stuart Cosgrove, Ailey Doyle, Pat Nevin, Michael Calvin, Christopher Brookmeyer, and Michael Stewart. An eclectic list united by one thing, a love of football. That's the Nutmeg Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You reference old fanzines as well in the piece, and, and that's obviously your your background. You started off writing for for these fanzines, so did you still have some back copies of it, or like where were you drawing the fanzine stuff from? Much to my wife's dismay, I've still got my uh, entire football fanzine collection, which was pretty comprehensive. Uh, I was a huge uh, collector of fanzines as well when I was a teenager, and uh, I've got yeah, I've got boxes and boxes of them. And in terms of United, United had this like all Scottish clubs at that time had a real um, a kind of array of them. I think we had about half a dozen going at once at one point, where a lot of supporters clubs would have one. So the the Edinburgh Arabs had had one that I think was called One Team in Dundee. 
Glasgow Arabs had one called Freak Scene from memory. There was two in Dundee. There was the kind of the big one was the Final Hurdle, which was a brilliant fanzine, and then there was another one. There was another fanzine, and the title of the other fanzine was a question that a fan had asked ahead of United playing an away game in Bronby, and his question was, uh, "Can I bring my dog?" <laughs> And that was the title of the fanzine. They were going by bus to Bronby. My brother went on that trip and um, this guy got pelters the whole way there for this question and then a fanzine named after it. So the one I wrote for was called When the Hoodoo Comes and that was the Falkirk Arabs fanzine. But is it, God, I mean, what a different time that is. You know, all these supports clubs around Scotland having the bus every week and and also producing a fanzine, it's it's brilliant. And fanzines were a great breeding ground for writers as well, weren't they? They gave gave you the first chance to, I don't know, start to work on your, your narrative voice, I guess. I still remember the thrill of seeing my name for the first time in the contributors list. I was 13, I think, and uh, I used to, uh, yeah, I used to write for them and sell it outside the ground. And I remember the, largely what I did to begin with was take Roy of the Rovers comic strips and tipex out the dialogue and write in, write in my own dialogue usually slating Dundee or something like that and, um, and then that's what we did incredibly you know tram- trampling all over copyright laws and, uh, but I remember um, selling it outside the ground and then going in the shed and seeing a fan like reading the fanzine and I went behind him and saw him get to one of the pages where I'd done something and, and give a very small, you know, Dundonian laugh. And uh, it was an amazing, you know, that kind of thrill for a 13-year-old yeah. was brilliant. The fanzine, when the hoodie comes at a slightly tragic end because they, we'd, they'd been growing and growing and growing every issue. And it was all very exciting and we kept printing a bit more, printing a bit more. And then the, it was run by these two brilliant... Uh, boys from Falkirk called Scott and Norrie. Anyway, I turned up at Tannadice one day in the bottom of, of T- South T Street and they had the boxes of fanzines and then in this sort of battalion round their feet they had 200 Dundee United themed garden gnomes <laughs> <laughs> which they'd had uh, which they'd had made up and it was a very disconcerting sight at 2 o'clock in there and I said um, what's uh What's the story with the gnomes, boys? And they say we've uh, oh, it's something a bit different, and we. And I just remember Scott looking at me, and he looked a little bit pale, and he said, "We're all in <laughs> on the on the gnomes, right?" So anyway, so we're standing there, got our boxes of fanzines, two hundred garden gnomes, uh, two o'clock. Cut to three o'clock. Game started. We're there. Fanzines, two hundred garden gnomes. <laughs> And and, uh, and the silence has sort of fallen <laughs> gradually over us, and I still remember loading loading those gnomes into the back of Scott's car for his drive back to Falkirk. And uh, oh dear, oh, I always I always think about them and their journey back that night. Where every time he looked in the rear view mirror, he'd have seen two hundred gnomes looking back at. Uh, re- reproach, reproachfully. Um, so anyway, I think that sent the fanzine into financial calamity that I'm not entirely sure they recovered from. But it was, um, oh, it was so much fun. And like Absolutely. you say, great breeding ground. Loads of uh, Scottish writers and 
cartoonists and so on have come through the came through the fanzines. I mean, I, I really like the the personal elements to the article, and you, you did write yourself into it very skillfully. I mean, you talk about the atmosphere of the I think the UEFA Cup quarter final with Barcelona, and you say Tanadice heaved under the lights. The shed was a swaying, singular movement. Brilliant images, you know, cycling by Jim McLean's house. I love that. And you talk about this eighties home with a vast first floor balcony, as if he's like this emperor of the city and stuff like that. So, but there's a couple of other direct connections you have because like there's the one where you interview him as a schoolboy which I, I think again is a, a fantastic insight into him can you tell us that story I think I was about 16 at school in Dundee and we had to do a media studies project and interview someone and I asked Uncle Bill if he could get in touch with McLean so they'd obviously repaired the relationship in the intervening years and um, so Uncle Bill set it up and I went up to Tanadice and um, got taken up to McLean to the boardroom and McLean sat there and he I was exceptionally nervous, went in with him and he said, have you got, he said, have you got your questions? And I said, yeah, they're just here. And he said, right, hand them over. And he turned around to my old, my schoolmate and said to her, not yet with a video camera. <laughs> she had this sort of massive, um, massive early 90s video camera. Not yet, took my questions off me, scored half of them out and handed it back. But no, that was just, uh, yeah, which, but it was, but again, it's strange, very stern and intimidating, but still gave up, I think, an hour of his day to, to do that for him. Yeah, and then there's the other one where he gives you this kind of impromptu tour of the trophy room, I think. Were you a programme seller at that point and you were kind of loitering around the, the dressing room and, and, and he just he just said, right, I'll you know, take you up to and show you the trophies, which is, again, a be- beautiful insight into, into the man. Yeah, but again, it, the, the, the kind of duality of it was, the, the, the psychological duality of it is that he, he nearly gave us heart attacks to start with because it was me and another programme seller. So I sold programmes at Tanzas for a few years. The great thing with selling programmes is that you had this uh, fluorescent orange bag and if you were carrying that, you were a programme seller, you could just go anywhere in the ground. So I used to get there really early and wander all over the ground and and uh, one day me and this other guy went over, we, were, um, we went into the dressing room and we're in the dressing rooms, and we turn round, and this, if you think of this, what this must have done to a teenage heart in Dundee, and Jim McLean was standing there and said, what the fuck are you two doing? And, uh, yeah, we just, <laughs> I mean, uh, and so we took a wee bit of time to recover from that, we sort of, were sort of spluttering our answer, and he said, right, come with me, and took us upstairs, and we're thinking, what's going on here? So, but then he, anyway, took us into the, the trophy room, and he talked us round, talked us around the trophies one after another talked us through the cup finals it was yeah it was absolutely magical experience from a somewhat intimidating beginning I guess the point I, w- I would want to make about you know the, the anecdotes that you choose the personal anecdotes you choose to include in, in the article is like all of them kind of punch their weight I think all of them you know, sh- sh- give give you an insight into McLean's personality, and I think that's so important. And I think you know that, that's a mistake that a lot of writers sometimes make when they try to write colour. You know, is that part of your decision making process? That like, if I'm going to include personal stuff here, then it has to shine a light on this personality. Yeah, it's like if you write a script, McLean is the protagonist. If I can use experiences I've had or stories I've heard about him that help add nuance and colour and flavour to him as the protagonist. Then that's how you use it. I think you're right. I think a lot of a lot of uh, journalists that stray into the f- first person uh, additional uh, kind of yeah, like you say, colour in these stories and, and accounts. It's it's about them. It's it's they think that 
their role in the story has its own secondary interest, and that's just not the case. I had a, sto- I had a lot of personal connections with McLean that I could use to add some nuance to him as an individual in the story. So that, that that's kind of the, the, the argument to put it in, and that's the argument you've got to ask yourself before doing so, I think. It's interesting you talk about the screenwriting there, and that was one of the questions I was going to ask you, because I was just mentioning before we started recording that I heard you on another podcast, the Page One podcast, and you were talking about the, the art of, of screen, screenwriting and how almost scientifically calibrated it has to be. You have to be very, very precise in how you use your words, and I wonder if like this process, this intense script writing that you're doing these days, do you find when you go back to prose writing that's actually has it made you a better writer oh yeah i'd hope so i think undoubtedly so a more confident writer i'd say more than anything i mean the great thing with this this piece is for nutmeg magazine which is very much set up to give a platform to people to come and write stories that they want to write and 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 in in ways that they want to do so so it gives it gives you real kind of freedom i wrote a piece for their for their first issue on on ralph mill alan patello one of the who helped set it up a friend of mine and asked if I'd like to contribute to their debut issue to support it and they'd always asked me if I ever wanted to do someone else and it took, took a few years to find the time to do so but the one story I wanted to tell was, was Jim McLean because it was such a personal story to me so that becomes an attractive proposition when you know it's going to go out as you write it you know there's yeah. no great kind of framework around it you don't have to answer to anyone. I think that, to be honest, for me is very is very attractive as well for something to do occasionally. Is because with script writing, you're in a system, you're in a collegiate sort of system, and you're you're getting notes along the way, and that's fine. That can be a really helpful, good thing. But it's it's um, you don't have that freedom of just writing something and sending it out. And I think that that's what what. Yeah, this opportunity gave me. I mean, you obviously have to think long and hard about structure when, it, when you're you're screenwriting, and I, I wonder how you applied that to, to this process. I mean, how long did you spend like working out where the building blocks would go in this article? Was that quite a, a lengthy process? Did you go through several drafts trying to get it right? I'm not. I mean, I knew I knew I was going to start with the Uncle Bill story, and I knew that I'd be able to bookend it a little bit with that. I, I knew roughly what I wanted to say at the end because it's just my feelings towards Jim McLean. So I kind of. Um, I, I knew structurally I had that nice big opening segment and then I would go relatively chronologically from there and just weave in any personal insights I felt were relevant along the way. I mean, obviously, you have to work out what weight to give. When you're looking chronologically, you have to work out what weight to give different stages of someone's career. But it's pretty clear with McLean where the highlights are. And I think it's to think about the, the games that you feel really kind of captured captured his career but I think I suppose it's um and I suppose the big thing for me was that what's really interesting with McLean's career is it was a bit of a three-act structure really it was the it was the build it was the glory years and it was the gradual decline um although I'd argue it wasn't even a particularly significant decline so it was trying to I suppose find different ways to capture those three sections of his of his life without failure being repetitious in a kind of structural sense. Yeah, it sounds like in some ways it was maybe quite an organic process for you. I mean, maybe you had kind of been writing this piece in your head for, for, for many years because it's such a personal story to you. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I mean, I, I know it pretty well. And, uh, yeah, maybe I had. I mean, it, it, I didn't find it particularly hard to kind of structure it, really. I think it was um, it was just choosing what to, what, to, what to leave out, I suppose. Um, yeah. 
and 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 there was I'm sure there was some other stuff that I in my interactions with McLean that I took out as well because I feel that we were kind of they were only they were only offering the same the same thing as some of the others. Uh, so trying to be quite militant and, and self-editing, but you know it's it's a f over four thousand word article, so you do have a bit of freedom to wander about a bit. Yeah, but it, it didn't feel like a, an article of over 4,000 words. I think that's the kind of genius of it. But I just want to end with a couple of lines that stuck out for me. Uh, the first one, uh, for decades he'd signed United's best young players on contracts of such length that they threatened to overlap with their funeral arrangements, uh, which is a wonderful line. Uh, and then the final one, a full-time United's players lifted their messianic leader upon their shoulders and McLean found himself with no emotional choice other than a reluctant disclosure of happiness so to, the, the other two lines that really really jumped out for me are amongst many great lines do you think about lines like that I mean do they come to you just in the moment or do you chisel them you know again reflecting back on your, your screenwriting background is that something that you work on uh, to try and get these lines that will just light up the piece yes no you, you, some of them come easy some of them you think you can feel about the area of what you're shooting for and you, you, you know you, you know that that's an area a paragraph or a line you're going to go back to and play with and really try and get the best the best version of it but it was with screenwriting it's about it's about brevity it's about weighing every word in a script and deciding if it should definitely be there and I think that um, that's hopefully what I take into into other areas of light of, of writing if you can if you can come up with a little concise phrase that tells tells the story of the of the line itself but also tells something about the character within it that you could have go to 500 words on then that's the kind of dream really for me and i think yes talking about that when mclean was lifted by the players in that photo that i think that was from just looking at the photo actually there's a quite an iconic photo right. of jim mclean being lifted on the player's shoulders it's on the front cover of his autobiography and i just looked at him the smile he had it was so it was underpinned by by reluctance there's no doubt and i just thought that was a a lovely little detail that i should have in the piece because it says so much about about him as a, him as a man the thing about the contracts I, I i was good pals with ralph milne who was a an old united player um who sadly passed away now but he um I always remember with, with Ralph his joke about United and was always I think I'm still under contract. Um, and this is you know when he's in his sort of fifties. Um, but the no, I, I, I think I think the great thing with McLean is that you watch these interviews when he's won the league and there's no there's no la there's no smiles or laughing in the immediate interview having won the Scottish Premier League. He's just analytically talking about the game. Uh, the next day, they played a friendly against Forfar. <laughs> um, you know, which he which he honoured. I think it was a testimonial, and he wow. and he berated a couple of players who were a bit worse for wear after celebrating winning the title the night before. But he was okay. It was a, it was a, such a lovely piece to write. I think you're probably right. That I probably spent twenty years thinking about writing that article, and. Um, it did come out of me pretty easily, and I'm I'm, I'm really. It was a piece that I wanted to write maybe while he was still alive as well, so it didn't feel like a, a glorified obituary.
Thanks to Neil for his time and listen up for a bonus episode with him tomorrow where he talks about his favourite sports book, Floodlit Dreams by Ian Ridley. And please check out Nutmeg Magazine and their podcast. Otherwise, I'm not going to ask you to leave a review. Instead, I'm going to ask you to share this podcast with someone you think might like it. We do this podcast for free and the occasional ad you hear on it earns us pennies, so we'd love you to spread the awareness by sharing it with someone. Finally, we've got a mailing list at backpagepress.co.uk. If you sign up up there you'll receive our monthly newsletters on everything that is happening with the company thanks for listening hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order that's quince.com slash upgrade